Well, come on back and uh, pick up your Bible and uh, turn over to Psalm 102. That's where we begin. We're uh, moving through the Psalms, trying to uh, learn and grow and uh, find out what it was like uh, in the for the psalmists who were worshiping the Lord. And in turn, then we're learning how it is that we're to worship the Lord and to also create a, a culture of worship in our fellowship and in our homes and in our our lives and our walks with Christ. And uh, so that's what we're doing. So we're in Psalm 102. Let me remind you back in Psalm 100, it says that as we make a, jolf, a joyful shout to the Lord, watch what will happen. We'll serve the Lord with gladness, which seems to suggest that worship leads to service, which is something that's near and dear to our hearts because we're teaching and thinking about service and how to serve in the local church or the body of Christ every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Well, here we go. We're getting close to the end of book four of the of Psalms. You know that Psalms is made up of five books. And we're now coming into the last part of the fourth book. And we come to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, which is titled here, Prayer of the Afflicted. When he is overwhelmed, or a prayer of the afflicted, when he is overwhelmed, and pours out his complaint. Now, listen, this is one of the several penitential psalms in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38. The most famous of them, I probably would say, would be Psalm 51. This one, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143, the penitential psalms. Now write that down because that's going to have impact on what we're going to talk about when we get into Psalm 103. But what's penitence? It's been sort of misconstrued over the years, hasn't it? Penitence, it's that state of being so sorrowful over one's actions or sins, to be repentant of, uh, of sin. GotQuestions.org even talks about how you would equate that in the New Testament to be being poor in spirit. And penitence is a deep remorse that results in a change in behavior. But I want you to know something. There's a difference between remorse and true repentance. Being sorry for getting caught and true repentance. Wouldn't you say that's true? We've had a couple presidents you would look at and go, oh, there's the example of being sorry because you were caught. And maybe I've been that way too, of course, and maybe you have. And so there's a difference between just being sorry uh, and uh, being really repentant. In fact, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So it's important, this sorrow. But I want you to also know that, as I mentioned earlier, this has been sort of twisted somehow through the ages in the church. Penitence is not a list of religious requirements. You get that, right? 
Things that you have to do to pay for your own sin, like beat yourself or walk on glass or over the fire or something. I mean, people were doing this back in the Middle Ages and such. And we know that because why? Only the blood of Jesus Christ pays for our sin. It doesn't matter how much money we give, how many times we have Bible study or prayer or anything or do anything, help people in good works. If we're not trusting in the blood of Christ, that's it. It's the blood of Christ that pays for our sins and wipes us clean and gives us a new path and a new life. And Jesus was sufficient payment for any sin we commit. So true penitence is, uh, as one commentator noted, true penitence is humble enough to admit forgiveness is undeserved. Did you catch that? True penitence is humble enough to admit that forgiveness is undeserved. And so penitence, and we're seeing it here. And in this psalm, it's different than the other penitential psalms. You know why? Because you can't really identify what's going on in the psalmist's life in this psalm as opposed to the other ones. Psalm 51, come on. He looked upon Bathsheba, and then the dominoes fell. And that's what Psalm 51 is all about. Here, you, you're not really able to do that. Some people believe this is a post-exilic coming back from Babylon psalm, and some believe it's pre-exilic, so who knows? But I know this, it says a person who's been afflicted when he's overwhelmed. Anybody here ever been overwhelmed? Yeah, you've been overwhelmed. Watch this. The first thing he says is, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. There's one very smart thing that this psalmist has done when he was overwhelmed. And I have to say, when you're overwhelmed, it seems like, at least to me, oftentimes this is the last thing that we do. We run to other people. We run to the person we have a problem with. We try to talk to others about it. And those are all good and fine things. You can do those things, I guess. But here the psalmist did the right thing. He got on his face and prayed and said, Lord, hear my prayer. He knew that the Lord was the only one who could do anything about whatever this is that has afflicted him or her. But anyway, let my cry come to you. Don't hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. He, this one is in real trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. What's fascinating about this is the first two verses allude to phrases from other psalms. So whoever this psalmist is, is studying and learning and growing and is around the temple and is around worship. And isn't that who the Lord uses? The one who's in the word and around the worship areas and being in worship and pouring out their heart, even when they're hurting. So there's these allusions here to the phrases from the other psalm. And then... He says, for my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned like a hearth. And if you thought about this, there would be another book that seems similar to this. The book of Job. I mean, Job, right? Seeing, you guys seem asleep, so I'm trying to wake you up. The book of Job. My days are consumed. My days are consumed like smoke. I mean, this is a rough stuff right here. 
that this uh, particular psalmist is going to, uh, through. One commentator said this, consumed, or commentating on consumed like smoke. Listen to this one. The effects of a stream, extreme grief on the human frame. Anybody here ever been in extreme grief? Yeah. The effects of extreme grief on the human frame are compared to those which fire produces upon fuel. It exhausts the radical moisture and by so doing soon consumes the substance. That's sort of what he's saying. That's how hurting this person is. My days are consumed like smoke. My bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass so that I forgot to eat my bread. When you, you know what's interesting about that? Uh, Ahab forgot in 1 Kings 21 to eat his bread. David forgot in 2 Samuel 21 to eat his bread. Daniel 10 verse 3 forgot to eat his bread. And the only reason I bring that up is, again, this person who's writing this knows the word intimately. And he's taking phrases from all throughout the Bible. Because of the sound of my groaning, I, I couldn't even eat. My bones cling to my skin, again, like Job, verse or chapter 19, verse 20. And then he says, I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I lie awake and I'm like a sparrow alone on the housetop. What's this all about? Each one of these birds are both solitary and mournful. And that's what he's saying. I'm in it. I am really, really hurting. In fact, he says, my enemies reproach uh, me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me, for I have eaten ashes like bread. Ashes, a sign of mourning. And mingled my drink with weeping, another sign of mourning. Ashes and weeping, because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me away. Folks, that's like a wrestling picture. Who here loves wrestling? Oh, Catherine likes wrestling. That's interesting. It's like he lifted, if he, he feels like he's been picked up like a rag doll and thrown across and cast away. And my days are like a shadow that lengthens short life or short days with little meaning. I mean, come on. Is there anybody more down in the dumps than this psalmist? This psalmist is there. He's at the bottom. Now comes the contrast. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever. And the remembrance of your name to all generations. You'll arise and have mercy on Zion. So some people believe right there, it's talking about pre-exilic or while they're in the exile, and that he's going to have mercy on Zion. Some people believe it's after they've come back from the exile, and it's speaking of even future events. But anyways, he was going to rise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. And the people who believe this is the end of the exile, that's a reference to Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah 25 and 29 says that the time of the exile is going to be 70 years. 
And so some people believe that this psalmist was clued into that. You will rise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. And I want you to see something here as a person who's been through grief. Have you been through grief? Maybe you've been through grief or going through grief. Is that the circumstance is tough and very difficult and you feel low and all that sort of thing. And it's valid and no one's saying it's not, but there's a contrast and that's the Lord. And the Lord will arise and bring his people back. And I want you to see in verse 13 that God will certainly be true to all of his promises. And there's no way that he can't be true to his promise. So if you're down at that place in grief or affliction, cling to the promises of God. Know what the attributes of God are and cling to him and his promises. For when the set time has come, he'll move, you see. For your servants take pleasure in her stones. And oh, by the way, in other places of the Bible, he tells you that maybe you're not going to get out of that circumstances, but he will be with you in the fire so you won't be overtaken. So there's many things he does in a fire. He molds and shapes and redoes and purifies. And so there's a purpose even in the fire. And then it says, as I read earlier, for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. And this is just a fascinating verse because you know that every stone, or you should know that every stone is glorious and precious and matters to God. I mean, he even counts the sparrows. He knows the hair is on your head. And for some of us, it's not very many. And some of us, it's a lot. But he knows all the hairs on your head. And one of the things that happens to you as you surrender your life and trust in Christ is you begin to care for the stones too. And who are the stones? They're the ones that you're sitting next to. You love them. You would do things for them because they're your brothers and sisters we're fitted, we're stones being fitted together. We're living stones being fitted together. That's the church. And so one of the things that could really help you when you're in the dust, watch this, for your servants take pleasures in her stones. And this is hard to say to some people sometimes, but quit thinking so much of yourself and think of the other brothers and sisters that you could serve. Because before long, here's what could happen. You can get in this rut where it's just constantly all about you and me and us, when really we're to be pouring our life out. And so, yes, there's a time when you have to be circumspect and examine your life and take care of the things that need to be taken care of responsibly in your life. But don't get stuck in a rut where it's just all about you all the time. The pivot here happens with the promises that you hold on to and then the service of other people. You start to love 
and take pleasure in the stones that God is fitting together. Isn't that great? So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth, your glory. Now, on one hand, they were seeing this happen. If they're talking about the exile, where, oh my goodness, they've been taken in exile and they've been released to come back into Jerusalem. What were they to do there? To display the light unto the Gentiles and to, you know, glorify God in the process. But, you know, in the future, when Christ comes back to rule and reign from Jerusalem and we participate in that administration, what's he going to do? He's not just there for the Jews, and yes, he's there for the Jews. There's going to be every tribe and every tongue. And what will they be doing? They'll be bowing at the name of Jesus. All the kings of the earth will be giving glory to the one true and living God. Wow. Listen, now think about what we just discussed and how big and massive that agenda is of God, the kingdom of God. And you sit here and think about your problem, and, and I agree, your problem's important, but God is big enough to handle it and work it out and will work it out. Because you, as a child of, of the king, are on an agenda of bigness. <laughs> it's huge what's in store for us. And you go into verse 16, for the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created. I know I tell you this often, but I wrote wow right there. Before you were even in your mother's womb, folks, God was orchestrating your life and making your life. And God knows about people who are yet to be created, who are going to turn out and praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That tells us something. That tells us that you have a, a grand purpose and that you really matter to God, like really matter. He's planned it out. And what's the purpose then to praise him? For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary from heaven, the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death. Isn't that a great way of saying the purpose of God, his mission? He's come to release those appointed to death. And who here was appointed to death and now has life? So he's uh, to release those appointed to death and then to declare or proclaim the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Now look, folks, that doesn't seem to me like that is post-exilic. That's future now. You see it? That's going to be a time when all the peoples are going to gather together in Jerusalem and kingdoms, and they're going to serve the Lord. Wow. He weakened my strength in the way. In other words, the psalmist is here confessing again his weakness. He shortened my days. I said, oh my God, don't take me away in the midst of my 
days, your years are throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak, you will change them. Uh, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Now, that should sound very familiar to you, uh, because in Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, this psalm or this portion of the psalm is quoted as if it's the words of the Father to the Son. You can look that up. They're going to grow old like a garment, like cloak. You will change them and they'll be changed. But, and this is comforting, you are the same and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Again, speaking to us of this grand and glorious plan of God. Amazing. And so turn over to Psalm 103. Uh, it's titled a Psalm of David, Psalm 103. We don't know the circumstance uh, but, of course, David knew the grace and deliverance of God. Wouldn't you say that? Through all the things that David had gone through and, um, and done. G. Campbell Morgan about this psalm says this. I want to read it to you, okay? It says, It is perhaps the most perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. You know, I just feel like we need a song of pure praise here tonight. It's the most perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. Through centuries, it has been sung by glad hearts. And today is as fresh and full of beauty as ever. That's G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, Warren Wearsby points out about this song. Look at this. I hadn't considered this. Not quite yet. I'm not there yet. I have another quote from Warren Wearsby. Ha <laughs> ha. Thank you. Thank you. They are on it back there. Thank you so much. I should, that's my fault. But Warren Wearsby points this out that as we close out book four of the Psalms, now remember, we're on book four, 90 through 106, the last four Psalms, 103, 104, 105, 106, emphasize praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. But I want you to see something that's very important to me at least. Before we got to the praise, there was the penitence, there was repentance, there was confession, there was transparency, there was realness, I don't even know if that's a word, but reality, there was raw, here's who I am, and here's how I'm feeling, and I need you, Lord, like I've never needed you before in my life, and I'm afflicted, and I'm hurting, and it was very penitential and sorrowful about something. We aren't told what it is, but before the praising came the penitence, the repentance, the confession. And isn't that always how it is when we hide? And when we don't agree with God and we just let things linger and fester deep down, yeah, you might be able to sing the songs, but can there really be true praise? and worship. And so it's so important that we're to be keeping short accounts with God. It just is. And you know, 
one practice of the church that I think should come back, but I'm going to tell you why I think it doesn't, is confessing our sins one to another. I think that's really important. But here's the problem I see in the Christian church. People a lot of times are worried about confessing their sins because of gossip. I really believe it. And that shouldn't be so. This is a place where we should feel free to be able to come in here and say, man, I really sinned and I need to tell somebody about it and I'd like to tell you and confess it. And then the brother or the sister would come alongside that person and pray with them and share their struggles too. And then there'd be this amazing healing and then there would be this praising that would come out of there. And I think that's biblical and I think it's right and I think we need to be more circumspect and not spread things around when it doesn't have to be. And yet, listen, the Bible does tell us to agree with our adversaries. So if you've sinned, <laughs> confess it. Let's all be that way and get on our knees and tell the Lord. And then if we've hurt somebody, go tell them that we've sinned against them and to ask for forgiveness and move on into praise because the Lord has taken care of it. Isn't that great? So don't hide things and live in obedience to the Lord and be into, uh, you know, have integrity with the Lord. Anyway, these last four Psalms then talk about praise to the Lord. This one's talking about praise. It's great. We should, if you had one Psalm to open up to every morning, maybe it would be this Psalm. And here's why. This is the reason I love this psalm so much. In this psalm, which is very unusual, the psalmist never asks for anything. He just praises the Lord. Which is, reminds me of what the Levites were to get. The Levites weren't to get any land because the Lord was their portion. You're never more free in life, in the Christian life, than when you can come to grips with the fact that if you only have the Lord, that's enough. You don't need the gifts. If you just have the giver, and you do by the blood of Christ. And so this is powerful. He never asks for anything. There isn't any request. Here in this psalm, it's his benefits to his people. In 104, he talks about creation and how that's praiseworthy. In 105, acts on behalf of Israel that are wonderful. And in 106, his long, God's long suffering with the rebellion of his people. Now, there's one more thing I want you to notice about this psalm, and then we'll give the punchline at the end. How many verses does the psalm have? How many? 22 verses. How many? letters are in the Hebrew alphabet. 22. Okay, now file that away until the end. And if I forget, raise your hand and tell me to bring it back up, okay? Psalm 103. We should write a song, contemporary worship song, with line one right here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Cue it. Warren Wearsby. 
Warren Wearsby explained this. I like to know what the words mean. To bless the Lord means to delight his heart by expressing love and gratitude for all he is and all he does. When somebody blesses you, they are hoping that you'll have peace, that you'll have success, that you'll have prosperity, that you'll have good health, that you'll have good things that God will grant and bless you with. This is great. I love when we put up the quotes. Everybody starts taking pictures of it. I love it. <laughs> Warren Wearsby knows his quotes, man. I'll tell you, he's got some really great ones. And um, that's a beautiful quote. I had never thought of it that way, but that's, that's what he says. And so it uh, means to delight his heart by expressing love and gratitude for all he is and all he does. Because how in the world can I bless the Lord? You ever thought about that? When it says to bless the Lord, I'm like, uh, I'm pretty shorthanded here. But that's it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This is deep. Can you see it? This is really deep. To bless the Lord, to do what Warren Wearsby there has expressed, but it's, oh my soul. That's deep, down deep in there, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The psalmist here, David, is blessing the Lord with all that is within him. And it reminds me, in the New Testament, how are we to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? With all that we are, all that is within me, bless His holy name. Now, don't uh, just blow by that. You know that He's holy and that He has holy character and He has a holy name. But why are we blessing him there? For all that he is, he's holy. We're not going around saying, oh man, although you can say this, I mean, you could bless him for this, but where you start with the Lord is not, oh man, I can't believe that you got me that bonus so I could get that Lexus. That was tremendous, Lord. That's not how David acted. David said, whoa, I'm blessing you with all I am for the holiness your holiness, Lord, because you are unique and set apart, and in your holiness are you beautiful. And I just want to sit and grow and love and meditate and think on that. And I want to bless you, Lord. I want to give you thanks and honor and awe and worship and wonder for who you are, just that, who you are, because you are holy. What's fascinating about this is that People who are outside of Christ would have a tough time doing this because the Bible tells us that he's a consuming fire. And so when you come into the family of God by the blood of Christ, now you have access and you'll be attracted to his holiness when previously the holiness of God should have scared the living daylights out of you. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. How about this? And forget not all His benefits. Now, if you people don't run out and get a journal now, after all these years of telling you, here's the verse. Don't forget His benefits. Now, I don't know about you, but I forget His benefits sometimes. I forget some of the things that the Lord has done. Sometimes I look back through the journals when I find them. They're all stowed away in millions of places and go, I cannot believe that he did that. That was amazing. I remember one time 
at a movie theater. <laughs> what was the movie? It was about these dogs and the guy who died in a horrible car accident was the lead actor. And I was trying to give Jan a break. Eight below. That's it. Eight below. I'm at eight below. I've got four little kids. I'm type A. I hate going to the movies. They love going to the movies. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there stewing, to be frank with you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jan's doing her thing, and that's good. But come on, I got a million things to do, and here I am watching eight below. Are you kidding me? And I'm praying. The kids are there, and they're getting ready for the show, and I'm praying. And the Lord speaks to me. <laughs> As clear as a bell. Now, here, not here. And said, you're going to have these kids for 18 years. And you think that you got all these things to do. And here it is right in front of you. What I want you to do. And I wrote that down. And sometimes I go back and think about that and I go, sheesh, wish I'd learned that lesson. Why don't I learn that lesson? and take time for the people. That's a powerful message. And I'm always thinking, uh, when I get to this verse, forget not his benefits. I do forget lots of times his benefits. But here's what's great about this psalm, is he doesn't have to leave you to the, uh, think about what his benefits are. By the way, I want you to see this so much. Take this and spread it out on social media. The reasons to bless the Lord and to pray, or excuse me, the, the, the verse here about blessing the Lord and everything within him blessing the Lord is based on reasons, not emotions. I, I want you to see that because here's what can happen sometimes. Listen, sometimes maybe I'll come up here after the, the worship thing and sing uh, How Great Thou Art or whatever, and I can't sing, and I can't play instruments. And then somebody else, like maybe Jason comes up here or Mike Reynolds or somebody, and they can play great. And oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh, wasn't that worship good? And I know what they mean. But And, and, and music can and should lead you well into music, uh, into worship. I'm not saying that. And you should try your best and do well at your, at your craft. Of, but, I, but I want you to see this. <laughs> that blessing the Lord is based on reasons that He gives. Not some emotional manipulation. And that's important. Why? Because now you can be at home in the basement you know, with the pipes and the washing machine and you're down there with the word and the journal and just singing off key or whatever you do and just be worshiping in spirit and truth and it's powerful. You get what I'm saying? Or you could have the orchestra and do the same with a pure in spirit worship time. But if you think that worship is just because you feel emotional, you're missing the boat. Worship is based on the reasons and God gives you himself as the reason. And that's important. Watch this. Forget not all his benefits. What? We ought to be jumping up and down at this. Who forgives all your iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, it's going to say. Back in Acts, 
If you've been following along in Acts, he blots out your transgressions, your sins. He blots them out. Remember when the guy was lowered down through the house by his friends? <laughs> you know, I'm paraphrasing, but the guys were like, all right, man, we got him down there. It was really crowded. I know Jesus is going to fix him now. And Jesus heals and forgives him of his sins. And it's almost like you're like, wait a minute, what, what is happening here? If you were there, you were probably saying the same thing. If you were a buddy, you were probably, or if you were the guy, you're like, what? But see, Jesus always knew that the chief need that every human being needs is forgiveness of sins before even the physical. And here, he's forgiven all of our iniquities, all of them. He heals all our diseases. I believe it. The Lord can heal right now and does heal right now. But guess what? He doesn't always. He's not obligated to right now. He can. But there's coming a time when we'll all be healed. Johnny Erickson Tata. Leaping. And swimming. And doing the things that she loves. He heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the dis from destruction. Oh, there, here's a word that I bet some of us will like. It's like hegoel, goel. He's referring here to the kinsman redeemer. The redemption of life by the kinsman. You see that in Boaz and Ruth, don't you? But he redeems your life from destruction. Uh like from the pit, he's saying here, he's brought you up out of hell. You don't, you don't go to hell. You, you've been redeemed. And redeemed means you've been put back into life for the thing that you were intended to do. And that's to glorify and serve him. That, that gets me excited. Because people like wander around life, even in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I wonder what God has for me. Here it is. Redemption. Go share about Him and glorify Him. It's all right there in front of you. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. What's a crown? A crown signifies something. Listen, it signifies a position. If I have a crown on, or let's say, um, let's say this. Let's say I have a, a private plane and I fly into every airport that I go in and on the side of my plane... I have a presidential seal. And maybe I'm not even the president. Maybe I'm the president's son or something. But see, it signifies something that I have a position. I mean, even Blinken the other day when he came back from going to China, when he took the hard right. You've been keeping up with the news. Anyway. He has the seal. So it signifies that he has a position in the cabinet. You get it? And we have a position, and our position is that we've been crowned with mercy. We've been it's been withheld from what we deserve, or what we deserve has been withheld from us. That's our crown, so that we can be righteous people and tender mercies. We're people who love mercy. By the way, if we are people who love mercy, then love mercy. 
I mean, if God's been so merciful to us, why aren't we merciful to others? I'll just, here, I'll, I'll come over to your house and turn on NBC and see how merciful you are. Or MSNBC, see? Be merciful to people. You've been given mercy. And he satisfies our mouth with good things. Now, this is really an interesting verse because in the Hebrew and even in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word, uh, your mouth, I know this sounds funny, but is a really strange word that means adornment or jewelry or long adorned. So some people believe who satisfies the old person with good things. <laughs> As you grow old, you're going to become satisfied more and more. You're not going to get cranky and you're going to be more and more satisfied as you grow in the Lord and that if you wait upon the Lord, your youth, your vitality is renewed like an eagle. That's what that says. So we, as I get my ARP card now, it comes all the time. I throw it in the trash. I don't sign up. But as I do that, listen, as I grow older and older, this is what he's calling us to. All right. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Praise the Lord, because when you look online and see people oppressed or on the TV, that's terrible. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. This is what Moses learned when he walked with the Lord, that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy, and he'll not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor punish us according to our iniquities. And that sort of speaks of the day of atonement and the scapegoat. And if you don't know that story, go back into Leviticus 16 and check it out. It's powerful. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear, respect, live in awe of him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us all the way apart. There's no, <laughs> it's just so far apart. So as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. But remember, it's grace that saves, not pity. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourishes for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But, here comes the but, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It's forever. There never was a time that he didn't give you and I mercy. It's amazing. Or, or didn't have mercy available, sorry. There was, never was a time that mercy wasn't available. It's from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all, even all the universe. Bless the Lord, you angels. Now he goes, listen, everybody should be, this is going to be a symphony of blessing. Bless them, all you peoples. Bless the Lord now, all his angels who excel in strength and who do his word and heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all 
his works. All creation will ultimately sing and praise him in all places of his dominion. And that's what's going to happen as we move into the millennial kingdom. And then this is called an envelope psalm. You know why it's an envelope psalm? Because the beginning starts one way and the end is the same. Like an It's just like he closes it up with the same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, get ready to do it over and over again. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. And I'm glad you said that. Because look at this. Psalm 25 also is a 22-verse psalm, and it's an acrostic. Psalm 119, although longer than 22 verses, has 22 segments, and they're all based on the Hebrew alphabet, those segments, right? Aw, ladies, perk up right now. Proverbs 31. Psalm, how many, how many verses? 22 verses. 22 verses, 22 Hebrew letters. Watch this. It's as if the Lord is inviting you to memorize these psalms. Why? Because back then they didn't write them down so much. So they did them according to the alphabet to memorize them. Listen to this. Robert J. Morgan in his book, I love this book. I love this book. You know why I love this book so much? Hundred Bible verses everyone should know by heart. I love, love this book because he tells stories in the book, and it's amazing. I love the stories. But I also like the content, too. I want you to listen to something. Bible verses are high-powered doses of truth. Did you catch that? That mainline God's wisdom into our reasoning. They convert the soul, teach the simple, rejoice the heart, enlighten the eyes. That's Psalm 19, by the way. They teach, reprove, correct, instruct, make us profitable for every good work, 2 Timothy 3. They fill our minds with the kind of realities that produce prosperity, success, and every good work, Joshua 1.8, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. What? Keep, keep listening now. Listen. Bible verses are our counselors and our delights, ready to revive us when we're fainting. Guide us when our, we're confused and strengthen us when we're weak. Psalm 119, 24 through 28. There are comfort in affliction, Psalm 119, are songs for the journey, I'll keep say, quitting saying the verses, and our most valuable asset for when we read and study God's word. When we do that, we're cultivating a relationship with him who made us and loved us, who gave us himself for us. As we study his word, we're listening to him conversing with him face-to-face, -face, as it were, as a man speaks to his friend. One Christian worker, Bob Foster, calls scripture memory the daily habit of supplying the subconscious with God's material to chew upon. Amazing. Robert J. Morgan says this, and I'll stop. You can agree or disagree. I'm just telling you what Robert J. Morgan says in his book. Uh, there are seven remarkable benefits that will change your life as you memorize Scripture. You ready for it? Number one, clearer thoughts. Number two, steadier nerves. 
Number three, healthier emotions. Number four, purer habits. Number five, happier homes. Six, greater respect. Seven, eternal hope and optimism. I don't know if I like the word optimism, but whatever. And then he says, isn't that worth at least five minutes a day? What I'm trying to point out to you is that these people at the time memorized scripture. They memorized these. And these were set like this, 22 verses, for that very reason. And so what I'm going to challenge us to do in 2023, why not just for us to memorize the Wednesday night crew? Memorize Psalm 103. Let's do it. Because here's the thing. Oh, wouldn't it be amazing? Isn't it just wonderful when you're, um, you know, with somebody you love or, you know, and they're just so refreshing because they never need anything from you. They just come and they, they want to bless you and just, you know, talk with you and rejuvenate you. And I know the Lord doesn't give us reproach when we come to him, but what if we just went to the Lord with no agenda sometimes just to tell him how much we love him? So let's do it. We got told January of 2024, one verse a month, one and a half verses a month, and you'll be all set. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you so much. We know that your word never comes back void. We know your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. We know that your word can revive and comfort and strengthen and mature us and so many other things. And so, Lord, help us to be people who just want to bless you, Lord. Express our gratitude for who you are and what you've done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Now, one last thing before you go. I know what the will of God for your life is. The only reason I know it is because I can read. And then 1 Thessalonians, right at the end, it says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God bless you guys and have a great week.